Hi, my name's Ryan. I've been a supporter of Paul's for many years now. I wish to get the podcast and video creation part of the system we call Paul back up to full speed. And I think Patreon support is a big part of that system. Go over to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. Make a pledge for each artifact that Paul creates. Again, the site is patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. You can also find the link in the podcast notes. Enjoy the podcast. We're naked. No, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, we're hanging out with the naked people. That's true. Yeah, yeah. We are out in the mountains at the Jerry Johnson Hot Springs. Should we reveal that? Where we're in, we are? We're in Idaho. Right. Spudfucker country. Oh, no. Did you know I was born a spudfucker? <laughs> There's no right answer to that. <laughs> but we're we're right next. Uh, Warm Springs. Is that what this is? Warm Springs Creek? I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I, I always just call it Jerry Johnson Hot Springs. And I I think there must be a sign that says that somewhere. Because it doesn't like the signs were saying something else. They were saying Warm Springs. But anyway, there are hot springs that flow into this creek or mini river or whatever it is. And there are all these pools made with boulders. And people have pulled boulders together. One of them was augmented with cement, but the rest are just natural boulder pools. And um, here it is, October, and very frosty this morning. It was low 30s this morning or lower and um, these pools are bath water warm some of them I think that last one was like a hot bath that was a pretty Mm -hmm. hot bath but the one where we were soaking our feet for a while that one was just a warm bath like I would have thought it was a fine bath but you would have been like oh it's not warm enough right I like you'd like to be boiled no I don't but I do like hot baths and hot showers hotter than you like yeah um but we brought a picnic lunch. We spread out a picnic blanket. It's just a beautiful, brilliant blue sky. And uh, the larches have turned color. The western larches are the deciduous conifers here that locals call tamaracks, but they're western larches. And they turn brilliant color in the fall before they drop all their needles. And then there's other, of course, fall colors. A lot, a lot of the leaves have already dropped, but still just beautiful we've uh we've been kind of in a mad scramble mode because we had uh the roundwood timber framing uh, we had prep week which was to go out and get the logs and bring them over and peel them and stuff then we had build week um where we're going to uh um, build a berm shed and then we moved into natural building week hot you skipped over the rocket oven oh the rocket party the the weekend in between yeah and there was like what like uh 20 people for that something like that yeah yeah around that there were there were like four last minute cancellations so we had more than 20 um but uh a few last minute cancellations and then with all the instructors and rockety people and helpers that were here we were over 20 i i kind of think that's a fun little stretch goal for a kickstarter was people really really enjoyed seeing all the rocket stoves firing all the different or and rocket mass heaters firing up the the rocket mass heaters the rocket oven all the different rockety things we have at wheaton labs because we probably have more than any other site that i can think of yeah 
Yeah, and and we got when we got to the end, um, I think some people didn't want to fire one up, and so some people were firing up two different things. So because we've only got 12, 12. Well, we've got 12 rocket mass heaters. Actually, now we officially have 11 rocket mass heaters. Um, because one of them has been now, as of uh, last week, converted uh, into just a cooktop. And and uh, Donkey was pointing out that it never was a rocket anything, because a rocket thing needs to have a, a riser right, in it. Right, with the and, combustion chamber, yeah. And this does does not have a riser, and this would be Peter Vandenberg's double shoebox design, mm-hmm. which was running very poorly, um, and it's a batch box thing, and um, uh, so Donkey repaired it, and so far it seems to be working okay. Um, and you know, let's get some let's get some mileage on it. But, but the big thing we had a lot of talks about over that week was, um, you know, reducing the Gilligan factor. Um, yeah. I think that oven was installed when Peter was very very ill, and so it just didn't get all the love it needed when it was installed. I think was that when Peter was ill. He was yeah well. He he's he's uh, his health has been a little under par each time he's come here, mm-hmm. and he usually each time he's had to take a couple of days uh, to just get bed rest and get back up. But I don't. The last time I, as he was parting this time, he was saying he doesn't think that he can make another trip to United to the United States. Um, it's, it's a brutal trip to. Yeah. That's a that. That kind of flight time is brutal on anybody, even a young person. When he's feeling okay, he sure seems full of life and oh, extra durable and like, you know. Oh, he's with it. He's he's awesome. Uh, we, we had a list of people we wanted to kind of thank and highlight in the podcast um, with these events that just happened. So that's at the top of the list for the podcast. Um, so Ron Bigelow. <laughs> the permaculture pickle. Yes. He came out to enjoy the pizza party, but he really ended up making all the pizza. He worked his tail off. He was yeah. awesome. With the help of Ian, who uh, Ian and Tyler came out here as boots for the prep week and the build week and for the pizza party. And what nice, hardworking young man. And Ian loves to cook. And so Ian was uh, the sous chef to Ron Bigelow, who is a chef. And they just cranked out the pizza because I, I had other things I needed to get ready. I was getting rentals ready um, and getting the the shop, which is also our auditorium, ready to have the pizza party in it, and and I just couldn't do everything. So they saved my bacon. And you cooked. You cooked uh, for three weeks. I did. <laughs> I did, um, which I enjoyed doing. There were uh, and and I had a lot of help. This group of people were awesome about doing dishes and helping with anything I needed so that that made it doable that was awesome and and we had some other helpers too um, that just came in and helped with a bunch of the prep and clean up so so that made it far far more doable for me and it was fun we kind of did these three events um, as part of like you know just a layer a thin thin layer over the boot camp so we basically said all three events are free to anybody who's ever been here before and um, 
Uh, there, you know, but unless you came for just the one week uh, of just if you came for just build week, uh, then we charged for that. Like you know, a workshop. Really, I thought it was a really low workshop fee kind of yeah. thing. Especially with yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I kind of feel like um, uh, when we do this kind of a thing, it's like okay, don't set your expectations too high. And I think I think that we did pretty good. Um, uh, especially on the last week, I think I think that people got a lot of uh, good experiences in the last week with Cobb, and um, uh, but but there was like the threat of digging. <laughs> there was there was so we've got some stories to tell yeah. in that space. Well, and then um, a couple of other guys that were out were Larry and David. You had wanted to. So yeah, Larry. Larry came out uh, for the full two weeks, and he arrived, and it just seemed like every day he found other little things that needed doing, and he was just taking care of all kinds of little bits and bobs here and there. He he uh, harvested a bunch of uh, winter squash um, that was that was time to harvest. Um, he uh, uh, got the water out for. We, we planted while he was here. We planted some uh, some new willow trees, and he, uh, he he watered them extra to make sure that they were getting established well, um, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. There was a guy that was uh, that was my size. Remember him? <laughs> That's right. He was normal, normal size. <laughs> you know, and uh, uh, Mark. Right. I'm sorry. I'm blanking on names. Don't ask me names right now. But there was there was David who came out for the build week and for the natural building week, uh, for the timber frame build week and the natural building week. And he's traveling around getting a permaculture education. Um, and he said there weren't that many natural building uh, events like we had on the East Coast. I thought that was kind of interesting. So, You know, um, speaking of not that many natural building events, so Donkey was here, and uh, he Donkey came early and left late and, and just worked his butt off the whole time. We did tons and tons of stuff. Um, but he was pointing out that he has now officially closed his natural building school. Yeah. And I thought that the reason why was fascinating. Um, and it's, he just felt like uh, he, you know, like, like people would come and they would build experiences for roughly 40 hours a week. And then they would, you know, I don't know whether they would kick back or, or what, but basically Donkey said he just was exhausted because he was uh, the cook, the janitor, the event coordinator. He had to do all the repairs. He had to handle all the transportation. And he's basically putting in over 100 hours per week, and he just he just couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. It, it wasn't even about money. It was just about, this is just ridiculous. Yeah. And, yeah. and you and I both ended up being exhausted from having these events back-to-back. It was pretty exhausting. But... Um, we had help. We had some additional help. And like even David, who I mentioned, he pitched in on dish, dishes so much. Um, and so many of the people Donkey did, too, that because uh, they understood what it was to cook. And they were so appreciative of somebody else cooking um, that that was wonderful. Quite a few people asked for some recipes, which was flattering. And <laughs> I, I put those out where I could on Permies. Um uh, at the pizza party, people really enjoyed the switchel. So there's a great switchel thread on Permies. Well, on the first week, I didn't really do much of anything during prep week. Um, so there wasn't anything to make me exhausted. 
but um, and then you work hard even when there isn't an event so well okay um, uh, so but that's all the time <laughs> well that's what I'm saying yeah you're you're working hard a lot of times seven days a week so but then I yeah. then we did the tour and the tour was I think five hours each day I actually I think it may have been six hours the second day so it's like the tour is now definitely over ten hours long right to do the tour of all the things well and, and we should we should cover we should make a podcast of all the things there are to talk about on the tour we could um i i think you know you were letting people try because that was what the pizza party was about was about all the rockety things oh, so yeah. you're letting people try that so that took longer right you know as well as the pizza party with visiting with everyone uh, Friday night, and then just being on um, that much, you know, a tour is is exhausting in a different way. You're a presenter for well, hours at a time. I was running the pizza oven for a while. Hmm. I think I think because I got there and it was like not getting hot enough, and I said, "No, you got to you got to put in little tiny sticks if you to get it hotter. If you want to just maintain the same temperature, then." You know, use the use the bigger sticks and fewer of them. That's fine, but you yeah. want to get hot. You got to have it burn fast and hot. Yeah. So we did. We did. So I was kind of like, you know, grabbing the sticks and cutting them up into smaller pieces. Well, and I think we learned yet again that there's so much value in showing someone in person. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, we had people staying. Oh, yeah. Oh, thank you. That's nice. You had a nice soak. Mm. Nice soak for you today? Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, we're, we're just down the hill from a pool, and this guy was enjoying a soak in there's, one of the hot, hot springs pools. There's probably eight different pools to go to. Yeah. Or so, eight yeah. maybe. I'm guessing. Well, so we have the cyclone that Donkey built in the red cabin, mm-hmm. and we had someone stay in the red cabin. And there's instructions on the wall on how to do it. And he kind of read the instructions, but then he kind of went, "Oh, I know how to start a fire." <laughs> but then it was smoking back. And a, a similar thing happened with the people who stayed in the Rocket Mass Heater teepee. I said, "What you need to do, where you put the wood in, will become a chimney." unless you light paper under the barrel first. And I told them this, and they were like, not, yeah, 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 yeah nodding yeah. their head, nodding their head. And they were here for rockety things, so I assumed they had some rocket mass heater knowledge, and they had supported the Kickstarter for the rocket oven, so I just assumed they had been looking at all the videos and knew some of this stuff. But it wasn't until later on the tour that they said, Oh, oh, we didn't do it right. That's why it's <laughs> that's so why. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, did and you hear that they got they had success after that? No, no. I didn't okay, hear I didn't hear back. Part of the story. Well, I, I heard know. the oh, now I get it. Yeah. So, so um, there's there's really um, you would think it's not that big of a learning curve, but we keep getting surprised by people who you tell them over and over again and they've even watched videos or they've even whatever yeah. and but it's really better to see it and do it <laughs> some reason instructions just don't compute and maybe even videos don't compute until you do it yourself 
I or you see it firsthand. Yeah, you know? something. And uh. and I think that I think there is some of that. Um, yeah. But when like with the one up at Allerton Abbey, when even Fred couldn't get it to work correctly, that's when it's like okay, nobody else light this until Donkey's here and he's going to repair it. And then Donkey, Donkey and I went over a whole bunch of different ideas on how to repair it. And in the end, uh, we did it Donkey's way. Um, I think my way would have worked better, but um, my way would have involved drilling some holes in the side of it. Um, and Donkey was feeling like if you drill the holes in the side of it, then the end of the like into the brick then the mortar that it rests on will get jiggled into dust. And and it's like, well, that's a good point. <laughs> so so we did it his way. Um, um, I still think mine would have worked better in a lot of different ways, but oh well. Um, anyway, uh, yes, the, the tour did take a long time because everybody was light and stuff, but we also took the time to talk about each rocket mass heater and why it's designed the particular way it is, what the experiment is with that one, etc. And so we, we had some pretty pretty thorough conversations with each little uh, rocket mass heater, plus, plus all of the other little things. Then we got into... Um, Natural Building Week, and um, and I think we covered that one a little bit w- already in a previous podcast, where it was discovered that the dirt was instead of being like eight inches thick or um, a foot thick, it was closer to five feet thick, and to just dig it out with a shovel would take far too long. So we uh, we rented uh, a teeny tiny excavator uh, that would be able to go up there, and we felt it would be safe to be either on the roof or at the edge of on the roof. And um, when we're kind of feeling around who can drive an excavator, it was basically me. Um, everybody else had a maximum of like five minutes of experience. And and so I've got a lot more than that. And so I ended up being the excavator driver. Um, <clears throat> and And so... The moment we started doing that, all the way up until the excavator had to go back, then I was in there trying to put as many hours as I can in the daylight to get all these things done. So, But we had this little outing scheduled in the calendar already, so we, we had an excuse to escape. <laughs> Just do a little getaway. Because it's been lovely. Right now, there is not an umbrella on Allerton Abbey, but fortunately, we have a few more days of not rain. And um, uh, Fred's over there now. Uh, scrambling to get the last little bits done to get the umbrella in place and uh, and then we're going to cover it either with our own excavator uh, Rex or we'll um, we'll rent something else yeah so the, these events were, okay, we need to make some repairs and finish some things that were started, um, and we just need to get them done, and we need help, and and so it was, come on out and experience timber framing and natural building while we try and get some stuff done around here. So over the last couple years, we've been working hard to um, reduce the amount of equipment just to maintain because that was getting in the way of projects and also just finish and repair and optimize what we have instead of starting new things. Yeah. So um, 
Uh, there may be uh, another innovators event. It seems like when we have innov- Rocket Mass Heater Innovator events, we get new things from that. Or from appropriate technology courses, we get new things from that. But we're not starting a new Wafati or a new yeah, we gotta, we big kind of project for a while. Kind of took on a policy of like we got to, you know, um, get get our things done and with the with Allerton Abbey it was kind of like um, when it first got built five years ago yeah then the family that was in there said oh the wind just blows through and of course the guy that was telling me this is like well you were the guy that was in charge of the build why is the wind blowing he couldn't find where the wind was blowing through and um, uh, and he didn't want to fix it and he spent the whole winter living in there with the wind blowing through and and it's kind of like apparently they were just super cold and and it's like so all right let's replace the uphill and the downhill wall and um, so we we set the that project up uh, on a bounty system and uh, the guy that wanted to do it um, he said I'm gonna be up there you know in a month and then I mean by a month I mean two months and don't let anybody else have that bounty because I want that bounty. And and uh, then then he did the lower wall and realized it was a bigger project than he thought and so he uh, he he bailed on the rest of it and so we found somebody else to do the uphill wall and it was their first experience but they only had a limited amount of time to be here so they didn't exactly finish and so then the wind still blew through right and um, and I don't know if we talked about this in another podcast but the putting in that wall took out some braces oh right yeah so there were it's like those braces are ugly i'm just gonna take those out uh, and and that led to some other problems so braces served a purpose mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah so uh, somebody didn't understand so yeah i think it might be good to have a thorough podcast of all the details of allerton abbey but the big thing is is that um uh so Donkey brought a FLIR camera, and he was running that around, but it didn't really do the trick. So what they did was, and I wasn't very keen on this, but it did do the do the trick. And um, they they made they they made a smoky fire in a bucket inside of Allerton Abbey, and they could see where the smoke came out. And it was like, wow, that's a lot of smoke pouring out. And what we did was, is we peeled back the roof. And then we cobbed from above to seal that uphill wall. Right. And once it was sealed, they did the they did the smoke test again, and this time the smoke did not come out. Yeah. So yay. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's yeah, I think that would be good for you with somebody else who understands the Wolfati design to talk about the round wood. Uh, design yeah. with the thermal mass and the integration between the round wood and the thermal mass and what's important to have happen there so you don't have mystery breeze, mystery yeah. wind blowing through, not just a breeze but wind and rodents um, there's all kinds of issues that it's important to have the integration between the round wood and the thermal mass for a lot of reasons. But I, I think it's looking really beautiful now uh-huh. And um, uh, I think it's, you know, here in another week, it's going to be a work of art. It's going to be a beautiful thing. Uh, Another interesting thing that we found as we were peeling off um, all of the dirt off of the top, 
to try and just do it over. I mean, there's supposed to be, uh, at most, an 8-inch thick layer of dirt above the structure, and then uh, um, 4 to 8 inches of wood duff, then the membrane, and then 2 feet, maximum of 2 feet of uh, soil on top of that for all your growies. Right. And what we found was is that the soil was generally pretty thin, like like less than a foot, and that the layer that was supposed to be only eight inches plus, you know, four to eight inches of wood duff, uh, the dirt part was, um, at one point, I'm pretty confident it was nine feet thick. And How did that even happen? Who knows? Yeah, and that you know, well, and I so got to amazing. thinking about it while I'm driving the the little the, the teeny tiny excavator, which we kept calling the teaspoon. Right. Um, and and I kind of thought, you know, it's actually on me, because um, I kind of feel like this sort of thing. I need to I need to document it far more thoroughly than I did. Because I think what happens is people go up there and they're like, how much do we do? It's like, fuck if I know. Well, we'll just put a bunch on until it seems like it's too much. And if they want less, they can come dig it off. I don't know if documents work for everybody. Because even the instructions, the one page of instructions in the red cabin on how to operate the cyclone, people have read that and gone, I know how to start a fire. I'll just start a fire. And they so even though that was documented and they read it, they still didn't do it right. And and I think the person who initially built Allerton Abbey was not a fan of documentation. And even if you had it more documented, wouldn't have read it. Well, and I kind of feel like, you know, if if the documentation had existed and it wasn't done correctly, then we could point at a different problem. But in this case, I'm going to point at me, and I'm going to say the problem was me. Okay. And that it it needed to be more thoroughly documented. I thought that what I was saying was clear, but, you know, I think I think that there does need to be a picture, okay. you know, and there needs to be, a, a, at the very least, a shitty drawing. Okay. Um, but I also, while I was up there doing that, I, I kind of had a lot of ideas about ways to do that same building shape and design in a way that's much simpler and faster to build than what we have there. Oh. But that's another podcast for another day. Well, that's cool. That's cool. I I noticed towards the end of these three weeks, um, I know I was just on my lips tired and, and shuffling through, and... Um, there were conversations that kept happening. This was after weeks and weeks and weeks of people also trying to help you with things, but they didn't understand Wolfati design. They didn't know what your overall goals were with the Wolfati design. Um, and so there were lots of debates, lots of discussions, lots of attempting to bring people up that, you know, actually weren't very familiar with the documentation that is out there so far, even if it's not as thorough as what you'd like. And, And I was reminded again, in some of the very, very early podcasts where we've talked about you. There was one we did all about you and like like the upsides and downsides of you. What was that podcast? Oh, is that the one where I'm deviating from deviating from that's, the norm? That's it. Yeah, we were talking about how you're different. Um, and we talked about this in that podcast that you have this engineer's way of, no. of talking 
that it, only 5% of the population really talks like that. 95% of the people or more use extreme languages for an inferred meaning. They, they are not exactly meaning what they're saying. So they'll say, well, everybody does it this way. Or it's always wrong if you do that. Or they use these extreme yeah. words, absolute words. Always, never, and, and impossible. They, and, and, what the, and the implied meaning that 95% of the people get is they don't really mean never or always. They really just mean most of the time or that's what they see, that's what they saw yesterday yesterday or whatever the implied or inferred meaning is however when you're trying to discuss how to specifically do something and the language is way too extreme way too general that's not, not possible you just can't do that non-specific this is like a pet peeve of yours and it 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 it, it it well i don't know if i would call I mean, it a it's pet not peeve. a pet peeve it's like no, no. See, if you you can't build things if you're a dumb fuck. See, that's that's the problem. If you're a dumb fuck, look, just don't even look at this. Don't talk about it because anything you say will just fuck things up. Because dumb fuckery goes around and fucks everything up. So just shut the fuck up and let let the adults do this, okay? You well, know, it's it, because it, no. If you're gonna talk like a dumb fuck, a child, an idiot. You know, and it's like, no, I call this the language of the engineers. Yeah. And and it's it's like uh no, you got to you got to qualify your statement. That's all there really is to it and and not use uh flagrant exaggerations and absolutes when, yeah. you know, they don't apply. Well, there were several conversations and I I am being euphemistic to call them conversations perhaps <laughs> that that you were especially irritated or adamant or passionate trying to get back to what was this person trying to say and the other person was like couldn't understand why you didn't understand them and kept interrupting you more because they didn't want to back up to correct what they said they were like well we need to just keep moving on on the conversation because everybody gets what i just said you know see everybody everybody yeah. And I, yeah so so they're they so the interruptions kept happening more and more and that is something you really don't like is interruptions yeah why was it so, why would an intelligent person talk like a dumb fuck so the combination it was like a one-two punch of of uh, extreme nonsensical language in your engineer five percent communicator mind coupled with more and more interruptions because these people were like why isn't our conversation pro progressing because they couldn't they couldn't understand it so they kept interrupting more yeah. and both of those were getting you even more and more irritated and it was after three weeks of intensity that you know i think anybody would have a short fuse and i saw your oh. fuse being very short uh with these euphemistically called conversations i don't know i think i think if you're going to find ways to put dumb fuckery into a sentence and you've you've somehow got concentrate of dumb fuckery and it's like in 10 seconds you're able to fuck a thought in eight ways it's kind of like no no 
Okay, you gotta you gotta stop. I I can't unravel this fast enough. You know what? And, and what's the point? We're not having a conversation here. I'm teaching you just that you're a dumb fuck, and that's like that's not useful to either of us. I don't care if you know you're a dumb fuck or not. I just gotta either stop having this conversation. But if we're gonna talk about this, can we leave the dumb fuckery out? Because I know you're capable of it. So so I just have to ask the pod people, how many of you are cheering right now? Especially the yeah. Aspies. Mm. <laughs> the Aspies yeah. are those on the or those in the engineering or on the spectrum oh, that that where language is supposed to have specific meanings. Exactly. These people are going to be cheering in the background going, Go yes. Paul and then that but really ninety five percent of the population doesn't realize they do this. So I'm I know I'm not an Aspie and the reason is is because I can utter those words. <laughs> Because if you ever meet an Aspie, that's the first thing they got to say. I'm an Aspie. Well, and, and so now you know they're an Aspie. I mean, that is clear communication. It's like I'm not here to hide from any kind of weird shame thing you want to do. Right. It's like no, I don't play that way. I'm an Aspie. Also, right. I've got warts and I've got uh, you know whatever else. And they're they're going to come right out and say it because those are facts. You might need to know these things. Well, and there's so yeah, an Aspie's going to totally get it. And a lot of a lot of the best engineers that I've ever worked with are Aspies. Yeah, yeah. There's there's language means specific things. It's it's very literal. Yeah, uh, it's very specific. So um, I think that's a good thing. And 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 we just that was just an interesting. Oh, here come more people down the trail. Um, They're going to be naked soon, I promise. Uh, they might be. They might be. We're we're sitting somewhere away from the pool, so people yeah. can comfortably go and hang out in their pools yeah. with, and be as naked as they want without a couple of old people hanging around. Well, right. I, I've been taking lots of pictures of the beauty of nature, but not naked people. Yeah, that's that's probably decent of you. I know. Yeah, it is. So yeah. So, I, I I do think you're right. I think that there's a lot of people that um, appreciate the language of the engineer, and I think that the people that uh, are of the 95%, they do not listen to this podcast. I, I just thought it was an interesting observation how um, that seemed to lead to increased interruptions with the people who didn't understand what you were trying to do with these um, disagreements. There were some pretty passionate disagreements that kept getting more and more heated because um, the other person you were talking with didn't understand what you were trying to unravel. So I, I, I think that they understood it, but what they wanted to do was to have their point made um, regardless of, you know, they were trying to make a point. They were trying to get their whole point across, and their point is based on a, a bunch of false information. And that was, in, in fact, that's what it boiled down to. They were presenting false information as fact. And and now there was a guy Not here... Not just fact, but as an absolute or as an extreme. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Rock solid, etched in stone. There was a guy here a few years ago, and he wanted to relabel his dumb fuckery as adding emphasis. So if you have an opinion, what you do is you present it as fact. That way you have added emphasis to it. Huh. And and so I pointed out how stupid that was and that that doesn't work. And, and you know, the only people who, who fall for that are dumb fucks. 
And so now you've surrounded yourself with dumb fucks. Congratulations, you must be so proud. So anyway, um, uh, he came back to me four days later and he says, you know, I, I, the thing you said, I took it to a friend of mine who's an author. He's written several books. And he says that uh, it's totally legit to add emphasis to something, then you will upgrade it to a fact or an absolute, and that that is quite normal. And I said, well, then your friend, the author, is a dumb fuck and writes <laughs> dumb fuck books that are only appreciated by dumb fucks. And so it's like I I put no value in what he has to say, and and I kind of feel like whatever he writes, I'm sure is total shit, and I don't want to look at it. Well, and that's. Yeah, anyway, interesting way to try and make a case. But um, before these three events, we just wanted to do a quick mention of some other things that were accomplished with Boots before these three events. Oh, right. I thought it was interesting. We had one Boot who came out on his vacation as kind of a working, learning vacation. He had a full-time job and took a week or... He was here with us like 10 days out of his two-week vacation to just, you know, he paid the 100 bucks boot fee and came out to just learn and do things. And and I thought, well, that's kind of cool to go experience something on your vacation. So I think we had vacation. three different guys that were like that this summer. Yeah. So I'm not sure which one you're thinking of. Right. That's okay. fine. All right. All right. That's fine. But um, we, we did do some fairly interesting projects. Um, uh, one of which I made a, I put a video out about um, where we went and harvested a bunch of sepulcher grain. And then we, um, we did the threshing. Originally, the technique that um, you and I and Fred attempted for threshing this small amount of grain um, was the Netflix technique. Um, uh, I thought the three of us sitting there watching a movie, we could just hand squish the grain out and that was a bad idea. Yeah. Don't, don't listen to me. Yeah, and that was so we were we were picking the grains out one at a time while uh, watching a movie about a, how a guy lost his favorite hammer. You remember that? Oh, right. Yeah. His sister Thor, smushed Thor, it. Thor Ragnar. Yeah. Like, that's my hammer, man. That's so rude. And yeah. then it went on about how rude that was for an hour and a half. Yeah, and and we didn't get all the grain thrashed by hand. Don't, oh, yeah. Don't do it by hand. Don't do it, it that hurts. way. It hurts. Yeah, your hands are your, sore. Your fingertips and thumb tips after yeah. a while. No, don't. Just don't. So then... No. So then I got the idea of, because, um, you know, I've got a video out there where it's like you can use a plastic bucket. Right. That was uh, Brian Kirkley at, at Inspiration Farm in Bellingham, Washington. Right. So you get a plastic bucket and you get this steel rod and you connect a couple pieces of chain to the steel rod and then you hook a drill up to the steel rod and then the, the chain beats the shit out of the, the grain heads. And um, you, But it'll only process a teeny tiny bit of grain at a time. And I kind of worry about, like, do you end up with little bits of plastic in there? And the other thing is, is that um, when you're dealing with the chaff, it's kind of explodey. If if a spark, like, you know, two pieces of metal hitting each other, like, I don't know, a chain or something, then <laughs> um, uh, it'll ignite and go boom. Um, and so there's... Uh, uh, you know, grain silos that have exploded and shit. It's not a, it's not a good thing. Right. So I'm kind of thinking like, oh, I don't want to do that really. Then uh, at the same time, uh, Brian Kirkliet also had another technique where it was like he had taken a, a wood chipper and modified it to be a grain thresher. Very loud, and it was it was an electric 
wood chipper. Right. But it was still really loud, and it didn't seem to produce very much grain, but, but it got the job done. Um, so I didn't really want to do either of those. I felt like, you know, there's got to be a way that we can manually do this without in- invoking uh, a drill right. or, uh, you know, some and, modified piece of equipment or something. And we'd both seen videos of where people had a special pair of gum-soled tennis shoes or flat-soled boat shoes or whatever and actually thrashed by stomping on it or, you know. Yeah, that looked weird because they were like, stomp, 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 yeah, stomp. Yeah. And then there was um, a lot of it, the old school stuff is you beat it with sticks. Yeah. You know, and then some people had better sticks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a stick with a hinge in it. Yeah. And uh, um, and it seems like, man, it just seemed like the amount of stuff that they got done after a whole lot of work still seemed like very little. And um, so I just kind of got the idea of like grabbing a bunch of it um, and, and some leather gloves and going squishy, squishy, squishy. <laughs> squishy, squishy. And... You know, that that actually worked pretty good. It's just that it kind of went everywhere. Yeah. Squishy, squishy. (laughs) So we got some old pillowcases, and you ended up putting it in pillowcases, and then put your gloves on. And then squishy, squishy, squishy with the gloves and the pillowcase. (laughs) And that worked. Squishy, squishy. And then you got uh, the boots, Ian and Tyler, to try it with you. And who else was? Was there somebody else here then, too? Larry was Larry was here. Larry was yeah, here, Yeah, Larry too. was yeah, here. And you all tried and that, then, and you made a video. Uh, we also kind of, like, so we would do squishy, squishy. Band. So you start off with this pillowcase that's got a very poofy pillow shape. And then you squishy, squishy. And then it ends up kind of being a deflated pillow. Then you put it on the ground, and then you kind of dance the twist on it a little bit. But, I mean, like, it was like a minute of squishy, squishy, a minute of the twist, and then we would pour it out and winnow it with a fan. Yeah, a box and, fan. And and uh, it worked pretty good. And then we found any seed heads that still seemed to have seeds in them. We'd run them through again. Yeah, that processed a lot of grain. Really fast. We ended up with two and a half gallons of grain in less than an hour. That was a hundred or a thousand times faster than the Netflix <laughs> method. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man, I feel bad about that guy's hammer still. <laughs> yeah, it was he way, still He didn't get a new faster. one. He just still is hammerless, and he just yeah. really, hammers are his thing. Right. Yeah. Well, and before the threshing, we did more dry strack rock for Tango Trail. I am trying to edit my own video video for that. Yeah, um, but cool. but you're right. So Tango Trail, so basically um, you and I have been doing this thing where for 20 minutes a day we go out and do jostling tasks. And then, and the effort is is to try and I need to get more physical activity. In fact, when we hiked up here to Jerry Johnson Hot Springs, then I think I did good. We hiked oh, up here. I didn't have to super, stop and rest. That's right. You didn't. The uh, last time just, we were here was after my spinal cord thing, and it's like I had to stop like nine times to get up here. Probably. And this is super easy hike into this. But but that just shows well, you. Well, it just you deflates know, my stuff sorry, there, man. <laughs> but I mean, when we were desk jockeys, when we do yeah. so much computer work, yeah. So the twenty-minute project time, twenty minute for my project, twenty minute for your project, and quite often we go longer than that because we're so excited about the projects and it feels so good to get outside and move. So. So one of the ones we did this spring was um, a trail at base camp was eroding fast and yeah. it was almost gone. 
And so we did a dry stack project to make a retaining wall so the so the trail could be restored there. Yeah, and that was in the turtle lot to those who have been out here and parked in the turtle lot and that's a little trail up up from the turtle lot to the Fisher Price house. And I think that that I mean it's a fairly it's a it's about a four and a half foot tall, five foot tall wall. Yeah. It's, it's about tall. seven feet wide. Um, I'm going to guess that the total amount because that one that one, you know, when it got to be, I remember a couple of times, like, it's been 10 minutes. It hasn't even been 20 minutes, and I have to sit down. I yeah. am, I'm pooped. Well, those... Happed in those rocks and stuff. Those are and, and so, but I would guess the total amount of time that you and I put into it was two and a half hours. Uh, it might have been more than that, but anyway, it was... It was fun. It was, that was a fun project, and that led to doing Tango Trail up... Well, before we did Tango Trail, there was another trail that we made, because we had all those big berms oh, right. behind the house, Yeah. with those hugelberms, those big, big, big culture berms. But then there's, like, the way that our house is built, it's on a rock shelf, and um, because the property is, like, one giant rock. And so then there's these boulders that you could go um, scrambling over to get down lower. And since you broke your leg and I have my spinal cord thing, then we're kind of like, maybe we shouldn't scramble down there. <laughs> and and so it was kind of a zone four, whereas where we were standing was more of a zone two. Right. And we wanted to get down there more because there was an apple tree planted down there. And we, uh, oh, and um, Will... Uh, Will or Bill and Sheila gave us uh, um, uh, black locusts, black yeah. locusts, Siberian pea shrubs that we planted down there. We wanted to be able to ease, more easily get down there and then start a hedgerow, too, down there. Um, and and it was just a little hard to get over those rocks. So I made a little dry stack thing on that first little trail, that had the nameless trail that you and I made. I mean, right. And then once once the dry stack was done, I think the rest of the trail was built in less than an hour. Yeah, it was, was just, just shoveling just dirt. Just shoveling. And it's a nice, easy walk down now instead of kind of a sketchy, scary scramble. So, yeah. And then we tried to go the other way, which we needed to add some paths on the back end of a berm. And then in order to do that, there needed to be some dry stacks. So the fellow that was here... Then um, he he did the dry stack. I instructed him, and he, he made the dry stack. And he thought it was really cool. He really enjoyed it. And so he wanted to do more. So we're like, okay. So I think you and I were hauling rocks so he could build this yeah. elaborate trail yeah. through the rocks, through the boulders. And it's like, okay, all right. So then um, uh, he ran out of time, and the trail ended up, like, one spot was, like, it kind of slid out and another spot it was so steep that you were kind of skiing and then and then the trail the funny part is you you ski down this one part and then you hit the tree it's, it's like at the bottom of the trail is this huge tree and it's like so funk every time i mean maybe he wanted it to be comedy like oh. let's set up some video cameras watch people come down this trail and smack into the tree but all right so um the cool thing about dry stack is, is if all the rocks are there, it goes pretty fast. So um, me and another boot um, kind of, so the the other boot, he built the one section that slid out, but he built it from low enough down that it'll, it'll last a very long time. And uh, I built another part. And um, I don't know, I, for all the rocks, I probably hauled 
75 to 80% of all the rocks um, in little 5 to 20 minute spurts. And um, <clears throat> I held I think, a fair amount for you guys too when I was helping. So. I think of the final product, I built probably more than half the final Tango Trail. And it's a beautiful little trail now. Great yeah. example of dry stack. Yeah. Yeah. So we had Alex. Sam and Brian all helping with that one. And then uh, Brian also helped a lot with the scaffolding. Yeah, that's turned out really cool. So uh, we're so, so the place we're at is a giant rock, and they carved out this shelf. And um, they must have blasted or beat at it with I don't know what kind of tools. But anyway, there's, there's this, this shelf. So when we built the berms, they had to be tall and skinny to fit on the on the shelf and there's not like a lot of room to make it wider so you can make trails on it so what we did was is we started um, plopping logs up there and in fact when we plopped the first log you were so impressed you broke your leg (laughs) that that was my accounting injury yeah yeah (laughs) I I don't often roll a joint but when I do it's my ankle Uh there's my other joke too Uh so but the we have an abundance of logs and these logs happen to be ones that were solid enough to use for the scaffolding but not solid enough to use for other building so they were they were a little punky uh, but good enough to use for scaffolding on the Hugo culture. Yeah, and so when you do roundwood timber framing, uh, it goes a lot faster because you can cut into it a lot faster. Yeah, so we have, uh, yeah, I was dodging the tractor that was carrying the log and I rolled my ankle this summer, broke my ankle. Yeah. How much space did you give that tractor? Like, like Way too much. 20 space feet of space? Like, yeah. Boy, that tractor was really threatening you. I, I was, believe it wasn't even moving at the time. It was. It was coming up the driveway. <laughs> I was rushing between buildings with receipts, so that's why I call it an accounting injury. Okay. But um, so so yeah, these are these two big logs are up there at an angle, and now we have a cross log. Two cross logs. Two cross logs now, and steps up up the one angled log, and um, it's really cool. What a what a great way to teach roundwood timber framing because. Um, it it goes together so fast and it the results are so big and it's also obvious no glues were used no metal was used i mean that's real roundwood timber framing and uh and it's like we don't bother to paint it let it rot you know it'll it'll be fine if you let rots a bit there's lots of pictures of that and the uh joinery and the chiseling and mm. stuff you were doing in the uh giant hugel culture at base camp thread yeah in the wheaton labs for i got a picture of you uh chiseling away whacking right. at it with a little handmade mallet right right um i think we've covered everything in our notes there's there the only thing we forgot to do we mentioned donkey and and a bunch of the other helpers but we forgot got to give a shout out to Josh Pilch of Essential Mountain Homesteading, who helps with the Timber Frame Week, and uh, Mud, Uncle Mud, Chris McClellan, who helped with the Natural Build Week, and Ernie and Erica, of course, who also helped with the Natural Build Week. And and, and uh, I know um, Josh was here for the pizza party, and Mud made it a little late, 
and Donkey were here and so that was a big part of what people enjoyed is meeting these other natural builders and rocket mass heater folks at the pizza party that so was awesome right now we got to finish the berm shed and so well <clears throat> while while we're here at uh, Jerry Johnson Hot Springs then Fred is at home at Allerton Abbey getting that umbrella in place and um, uh, he's by himself Jeremy might help him out a little bit. Well, I think Fred was doing something else today, but that's okay. Okay. Um, but maybe uh, yesterday. We left yesterday, and um, and then we're not going to be back until tomorrow. So so between yesterday and tomorrow, maybe he'll do a little bit. Once I get back, it'll be me and Fred scramble, scramble, scramble to get the, um, the umbrella back on. Um, we have got most, like 98% of the umbrella shape done. Um, we just started to lay down uh, the membrane layer uh, as I left yesterday. Um, and so but we've got a few more days of dry weather. And then we're going to go and finish the umbrella. Then we've got to start putting the soil on top of that. And so that's going to be in the next couple of days. So we'll be doing that kind of scramble, scramble. Then it's going to be a, a strong focus on uh, working on the berm shed. Um, and I have tried to hire people to come and do this. And uh, man, the, the, um, I'm just having a hell of a time finding somebody to hire. So it's kind of like instead of writing the book, instead of working on the other projects, it's like I guess it's going to be just me and Fred out there doing it. Right. It's It's been a bit of a, a struggle to find a natural builder. So we're still, I think we're still in uh, a bit of a catch-22 with the community. We need awesome things and awesome community to build community, but we need the community to build the awesome things. And I, I have some hope. We um, put out an offer to somebody to come and fill multiple roles and work full-time. And um, hoping hoping that that works out. Right. So uh, on the whole, I was I was mentioning this to Donkey, uh, kind of as Donkey was leaving. He was the last of our instructors and stuff to leave. And I said, you know, it's it's really intuition and a feeling more than based in anything um, that I can pinpoint. But I just kind of feel like things are on an upswing for Wheaton Labs and for Paul and myself. And some of that might just be as simple as us doing the projects, or some of the projects ourselves, some of our own project time stuff. But it just feels like uh, things are on an upswing and we've had enough small successes that they're starting to, um, we're able to build on the small successes and, and have some lasting uh, artifacts that we're really happy about and, and lasting people that we're really happy about um, and and moving forward. I, you know, it's weird you say that because I feel the same way, like we're on the edge of a big upswing. Isn't that funny? I mean, things are going forward, and a lot of it is, and you're right, it's a lot of it is where where we have set aside our desks and gone outside and done a lot of these things ourselves. Yeah, that's that's been the irony of getting land, and especially, you know, the first year we brought 200 people through, the second year we brought 150 people through, and it hasn't been as many people the last three years for one reason or another. 
but um, bringing that many people through for a wide variety of reasons and ways we brought that many people through drove you and I behind the computers even more. Yeah. And 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 I think that's <coughs> that's something some of the early people at Wheaton Labs didn't understand. They didn't understand why you and I weren't out helping with the projects more, and they didn't understand what it really took administratively to bring that many people through. I mean, just sending directions out to 200 people, I mean, that's an administrative task right there, and that's only like one one-hundredth or one one-thousandth mm-hmm. of the administrative and managerial tasks involved with bringing that many people and, through. And we need to bring in the money, because well, yeah. nearly every event we've ever had has run not just in the red, but like way in the red. I think yeah. most of the events we've had have run $10,000 in the red. Yeah. And and so it's kind of like um, somebody's got to come up with the money to pay for this stuff. Yeah. And and um, it's like... And there, there's ways to run events so that they don't run in the red, and, and we plan to get there, but we've... We've just been so slammed with so many different things, and we've had other sources of income that we haven't um, quite gotten there ourselves yet. So we plan to get there, though. That's true. And so then it's kind of like when we finished up the Kickstarter, then I had a little extra, and and I wanted to finish these projects, and so I set up these quickie events. Um, And and, But I kind of was hoping that the berm shed would be at 100%. You know, and and so it's not, and now there's a bunch of extra work to be done, and I can't seem to find somebody to hire. But damn, that shit happens. What are you gonna do? You make the best of it. Right, and <clears throat> and it's it's we've been in in worse circumstances, so yeah. it actually feels pretty good. <laughs> um, and you know, it feels really awesome to be here next to a beautiful. The beautiful scenery and the beautiful water bubbling by. We're hoping the water hasn't been too much of a distraction with the podcast. And now that it's past midday, more people are coming down the trail. Here comes a whole other group of people. Oh, yeah. They're all going to get naked, I tell you. I know. So we missed our chance to get naked. Yeah. Um, Now, is there anything else on the list? I think we covered everything, which is awesome. And, you know, huge, huge kudos to Fred who's been here three years with all of these things and just a rock. So. Yeah, Fred's the best. Yeah. If you like this sort of thing, come on out to the forums at permies.com where we talk about <laughs> squishy, squishy, oh, squishy. No. <laughs> Homesteading and permaculture all, all the, the time. time. Don't forget, go out to patreon.com slash paulwheaton and make a pledge for future artifacts. 